Now, our Bible reading is taken from Daniel chapter 11. And we're going to read verses 1 through to 21. So if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 11. We're reading from verse 1. And we're reading, of course, from the authorized version. I'm going to encourage all who are online to not only follow the words on the screen, but get their own Bible out of the cupboard or the drawer or wherever they have it and turn to Daniel 11. And let's see the words for ourselves. Not only hear them, but it's better to see them. Um, we'll, we'll retain it not only by hearing, but we'll retain it as well by sight. I just want to say before I read this, this is a very detailed uh, passage of Scripture. It's also a very complicated passage of Scripture to understand, so you've got to try and follow very carefully. Let, let's hear the word of the Lord. Daniel 11, verse 1. Also I... In the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. And now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all, and by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia. And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven. And not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up, even for others beside those. And the king of the south shall be strong, and one of his princes, and he shall be strong above him, and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. And in the end of years, they shall join themselves together. For the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of the arm. Neither shall he stand, nor his arm. But she shall be given up, and they that brought her and he that begat her, and he that strengthened her in these times. But out of a branch of her roots shall one stand up in his estate, which shall come with an army, and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north, and shall deal against them, and shall prevail, and shall also carry captives, into Egypt their gods with their princes and with their precious vessels of silver and of gold and he shall continue more years than the king of the north 
So the king of the south shall come into his kingdom and shall return into his own land. But his sons shall be stirred up and shall assemble a multitude of great forces. And one shall certainly come and overflow and pass through. Then shall he return and be stirred up even to his fortress. And the king of the south shall be moved with glory, and shall come forth and fight with him, even with the king of the north. And he shall set forth a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into his hand. And when he hath taken away the multitude, his heart shall be lifted up, and he shall cast down many ten thousands, but he shall not be strengthened by it. For the king of the north shall return and shall set forth a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come after certain years with a great army and with much riches. And in those times there shall stand many up against the king of the south. Also the robbers of thy people shall exalt themselves to establish the vision, but they shall fall. So the king of the north shall come and cast up a mount and take the most fenced cities and the arms of the south shall not withstand neither his chosen people neither shall there be any strength to withstand but he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will and none shall stand before him and he shall stand in the glorious land which by his hand shall be consumed. He shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do. And he shall give him the daughter of woman, corrupting her. But she shall not stand on his side, neither before him. After this shall he turn his face unto the isles, and shall take many. But a prince for his own behalf shall cause the reproach offered by him to cease. Without his own reproach, he shall cause it to turn upon him. Then he shall turn his face toward the fort of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. Then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes in the glory of the kingdom. But within few days he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. We'll end the reading there at verse 21. And before you switch off, you're wondering to yourself, what is this passage of Scripture all about? I did say it was a very detailed, complex passage of Scripture, and I need your prayers so that I can attempt to, and I use the word deliberately, attempt to explain this passage of Scripture to you tonight. Now, my text this evening is taken from Daniel chapter 10, verse 14. And Daniel 11, verses 1 to 4. Let me just read Daniel 10, verse 14. 
Now am I come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. I want to attempt to preach tonight on the subject that I've entitled, The Battle for Israel's Survival. Daniel 11 is one of the most detailed prophecies in the whole of the scriptures. Daniel 11 involves some amazing historical details about great Gentile emperors, about political developments, about kings and intrigue, reaching right up to the end times, reaching right up to the rise of the final Antichrist himself that will ultimately affect the Jewish community, not only in its past history, not only in its present history, but in its future. Now, the introduction to chapter 11 is given to us in chapter 10, and we preached last week in chapter 10. See, this introduction begins in chapter 10, verse 1, in the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia. That was two years after a remnant of Jews had been given permission by Cyrus to go back to their homeland and rebuild the temple. And we know exactly how many went back because in Ezra chapter 2, 64, it says the whole congregation together was 40 and 2,303 score. Is it any wonder Daniel was discouraged and gave himself to prayer? Now, this final vision of Daniel encompasses, as I've told you, the whole of the last three chapters. So it starts in chapter 10, verse 1. It continues into chapter 11, all uh, 45 verses from 1 to 45, and right into Daniel 12, chapters, uh, verses 1 to 13. I want you to know they're all connected. And they all have to be read together, for they form one unit. So, so the, the first word in Daniel 10 and 1 is in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And then you come to chapter 11 and you've got the word, also I. And I'll explain who's speaking in a little moment. And then you come into chapter 12 and what have you got? You've got the word and, and at that time shall Michael stand up. The word and is a joining word and, and, and it connects uh, uh, the end of chapter 11 into chapter 12. I, I, I want you to understand that this is one long detailed vision. Now last week I started to break it down and I entitled the sermon Daniel's Vision of the Long War. Remember Daniel was shown a vision. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed to Daniel, a word from God, a a matter. And that thing was true, it was sure, it was certain. And Daniel, we're told, had understanding of the vision. And Daniel was so affected by this vision that he mourned and, and he wept and he fasted and prayed for three whole weeks. Now, what was that vision that Daniel was showing? It was namely this. A spiritual battle of the ages. A long spiritual war. And in fact, we could say that that war began in Eden. A spiritual battle between God and the devil. Light and darkness, truth and error, good and evil. Between Christ and Belial. And Daniel saw this battle 
raging in his day and generation. A battle that affected the world generally because of the forces of darkness. But it also affected, and this is what we're going to see tonight, the land of Israel specifically. Now in response and in answer to Daniel's prayer, the Lord Jesus himself came to Daniel in a most wonderful, spectacular manner. I want you to understand that Daniel 10 5 to 7. Now, I can't open it up again. I'm not even going to read it tonight. But I want you to tell you that that is none other, I believe this, than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What you have there is a sevenfold unveiling of Christ in a most spectacular manner to Daniel. He had come to show Daniel that he himself, not a mighty angel, as many commentators say, but the Lord Jesus himself was personally engaged in this battle. Now remember, the spiritual battle of the ages, this long spiritual war focused primarily on God's redemptive purposes. As I've said, take it back to Genesis 3.15, the first gospel promise. So it's been raging then uh, uh, the, 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 from the beginning of time. And, and stretched right up to the very advent of Christ. And that long war's raging on today between good and evil, truth and error, light and darkness, Christ and Belial. And it rages until it reaches greater intensity as we move closer to the end of time as we know it. See, the Lord Jesus was encouraging Daniel here. He showed Daniel that he was fighting to defend his own cause. Look at chapter 10, verse 20. Then said he, he's speaking to Daniel, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. He not only informed Daniel that he was fighting to defend his own cause, he also ministered to Daniel. We saw this last week as we closed. He touched him three times, Daniel 10 and 10, Daniel 10, 16, and Daniel 10, verse 18. He not only touched him, but he talked to him. See, I want you to understand that in 10, 19, and 20, the Lord Jesus is still speaking. He hasn't stopped speaking to Daniel. In fact, he carries on into chapter 11. And, and right through all of these verses, he's, he's speaking to Daniel. Oh, that we could see that the Lord Jesus is speaking to Daniel the whole way through this vision. Look, look at chapter 11, verse 1. Also I, in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. Who is talking? The Lord Jesus is talking to Daniel. Who is he talking about to Daniel? He's talking about Michael, your prince. The, 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 the great archangel Michael who, who's over the land of Israel. Do, do you see that? That's the one that's in view. If you go back to chapter 10 and verse uh, 13, he says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and 20 days. Now, that's a reference to, not to a man, there's no man in view. That's a reference to a powerful agent of Satan, a powerful evil spirit. And the Lord Jesus is telling us that powerful evil spirit withstood me. Is that possible? 
Yes, well, the Lord Jesus allowed this. He permitted this. And then Michael, the archangel, came to help him. Michael, your prince, was also engaged in this great warfare as well. He helped fight the forces of darkness alongside the Lord Jesus. How and when had the Lord Jesus strengthened him? Well, we're told when in the first year of Darius the Mede. Do you see that? Isn't that the very year that Babylon fell? Was the Lord Jesus and Michael invisibly behind the scenes in the fall of Babylon? I, I believe he was. I believe they were there together. This is but another example of how the Lord employs the help of angelic hosts. In this long war, this spiritual war, the Lord employs the help of angels. And here's evidence of this. Michael, your prince. Link it up with Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. Remember what it says there. It says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Daniel has shown that even in this satanic opposition, that the Lord not only permitted and ordained it, but it was all under his sovereign control. Oh, that we could see tonight that all the rages of the forces of darkness, it's all evidenced for us or noted, put into the, the scriptures of truth, all that happened in the past, all that happened in the present, all that's happening in the future, all the opposition and the persecution, it's all predetermined, it's all been foreordained, that the Lord himself is a master plan, and in the end, the Lord Jesus will emerge victorious. He'll never be taken by surprise. The, 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 the devil will never take the Lord by surprise. Remember, the devil only operates by permission. Permission from the Lord. It's all according to his determinant counsel. Didn't he have to get permission from the Lord to put his hand against Job? And surely we could think tonight, well, this is great encouragement for Daniel. This is great uh, consolation to Daniel. What's he saying? Daniel, you're on the winning side. And now he speaks on to Daniel. What does he say in verse 2? And now will I show thee the truth. Daniel, have more to show thee. Daniel, I'm going to show what's going to befall your people in the latter days. I'm going to show you now specifically what's going to happen in the land of Israel. What's going to happen in Jerusalem. What's going to happen to the Jewish people. I'm going to show you right up to the time of the end. If you look with me at Daniel 11, verse 35, it says, And some of them of understanding shall fall, to try them and to purge and to make them white even to the time of the end because it is yet for a time appointed. Come to verse 40. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. Daniel 11 contains things that are future to Daniel, things that are now past for us, things that has to do with the present, and things that has to do with the future. As I've said, it's a very detailed, complex portion of Scripture, a very detailed and complex prophecy. And I have three things that I want to show you tonight in the verses that I've read. I want you to think, first of all, of the agony of the warfare 
If you link up Daniel 10 and verse 14, now am I come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. Come with me to chapter 11, verse 16. But he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will, and none shall stand before him, and he shall stand in the glorious land, which by his hand shall be consumed. That's a reference to the land of Israel. Let me ask a question tonight. Why do the Jewish people suffer in the way that they do? Why is there all this anti-Semitism in the world today? The great Napoleon was once asked, Napoleon, what's the greatest miracle in the world that you know of? And here was his answer. The history of the Jews. Think of all that's been done to the Jewish nation. Think of all that's been done through them. And all that's been done for them, especially by God. Remember what we read in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 9 and uh, the verse 4, the apostle Paul uh, was able to say this, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers and of whom is concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all? God blessed forever. Amen. You see, there's an amazing phenomena here when you think about the Jewish nation. All that was done to them, all that was done through them, and all that was done for them. And it stretches all the way back to the days of Abraham, the friend of God and the father of the faithful. Isn't it amazing that the Jewish people have outlived every emperor that sought to destroy it and sought to exterminate it from the very beginning. You think of the Egyptians and Pharaohs, Ramses II, the, the 430 years slavery in Egypt. Think about the Babylonians, what they did. Ransacked Jerusalem, knocked down its walls, burned its gates, destroyed its temple. Medo-Persians, we're going to see that in a moment. The Grecians, Alexander the Great, going to see that in a moment. The Romans, despite all the violence perpetrated against the Jewish people, and we can say in, in biblical history and before Christ, and we can also say in AD, in the year of our Lord, from Christ's death and crucifixion, they have still managed to preserve their racial identity, still managed to preserve their culture, their, their, their language still managed to preserve their religion. You think of what Hitler did, the extermination of six million Jews. Why do men hate the Jews? Why are all human agencies stirred up to attack this ancient people? I want to suggest tonight that I believe it's because they're instigated by the forces of darkness. By the devil himself. Satan himself and the hordes of demons in hell hate the Jewish people, the Jewish race. Because why? Because it was through this one race of people that Messiah the Prince was to come. And he has come. And glory to God, he is coming in his second coming. And in that day when he comes, the devil will be bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And there'll be a golden year 
years of reign uh, by the Lord Jesus himself on this earth, called the, the millennial reign. See, let's remember who he is, Messiah the Prince. He's God's only begotten son. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the saviour of the world. And they suggested to, this morning at the communion service, when you think of the Lord Jesus, think of his crib, who came, God incarnate. Think of his cross. Why did he die? Think of the crown that he received when he, 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 he emerged victorious in death and in resurrection victory. Think of his coronation, King of kings and Lord of lords. And think of his conquest, even over Satan himself. Isn't that amazing? The devil's going to be bound in the bottomless pit for, for a thousand years. It's all in the book. Look with me at Daniel 11, verse 33 for a moment. Think of the Jewish people. It says, And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Think of those that have understanding of the times. Yet they shall fall by the sword. And by flame, by captivity, and by spoil, many days. I believe that the Lord Jesus is primarily describing to Daniel the fate of Israel from his day right up to the time that Messiah the Prince would come and his death in Jerusalem. And right up to the, the final Antichrist who will come into the world. See, Daniel 11 is historical and prophetical. Daniel 11, especially in the latter portion, verses 35 onwards to 45, it's largely prophetical, but it's real historical time and events. If we could grasp that. Daniel 11, verses 1 really through to verse 35, is prophecy that's literally been fulfilled. Prophecy is his story written in advance, because that's what history is. History is his story. And the rest of the chapter, as I'm suggesting, it's difficult to make a division. Because it's, it's difficult to know uh, where the historical figure ends and, and the prophetical figure uh, uh, emerges in a, in a dual fulfillment. But, but most commentators are dividing the chapter up, verses 1 to 35, and then 35 to 45, saying it's all about the future Antichrist that's to come. And you've got to think of Israel then suffering under Antichrist. And if they have suffered before... Ramses II, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the, the, the Grecians, the Romans. I want to tell you, it peels into insignificance. And I'm not minimizing their suffering. It peel, even what Hitler did, it'll peel into insignificance. The time of great trouble that's going to come. And we're going to look at that before the end of that study. But I, I just want to put that out there. And all that happened in the days of um, and, Antichicus Epiphanes, who's a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. It all peels into insignificance when you think of the uh, final Antichrist that is to come. And all the while, the land of Israel, Palestine as we know it, it's in Gentiles' hands, it's under her control, it's under her domination, and the Jewish people are subject to great persecution. 
Oh, that we could think about the Middle East. And we could think about the land of Israel specifically because that's what Daniel was being brought to focus in. There's a long spiritual war going on in the world generally, Daniel, but specifically it has to do with the Middle East. It has to do with your land, your people, Daniel. That's what Daniel's being told. There's There's a battle going on for Israel's survival. And here's the agony of the warfare. And it's long. It's not just over in a generation. It's long. Notice something else here. And I have to watch this clock tonight, right? I want you to think of the accuracy of the word. Not only the agony of the warfare, but the accuracy of the word. You see, this warfare, this battle for Israel's survival is rooted in, listen to me carefully, and rests upon the accuracy of the word. You see, a lot of the details in Daniel 11 has to do with the historicity of Gentile kings and their leaders in their relationship to Israel. That's why they're there in the Bible. They're not just mentioned incidentally. They're mentioned deliberately because of their relationship to Israel. You you think of what the Lord Jesus said to Daniel 21, Daniel 10, but I will show thee that which is noted in the scriptures of truth. I would love to have preached a sermon on the scriptures of truth, but, but I, I am refraining from doing that. Think of the word noted here. Do you know what that word noted means, folks? It means inscribed. Or it means what is written. And the details here cover a period from 536 B.C., that's 536 years, young people, before Christ, right up to 164 B.C., right up to the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. Isn't that amazing? That that's almost 400 years. And even then, he's but a foreshadowing of the future Antichrist that's to come. Look at chapter 11, verse 2. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia. Remember, this is all prophetic to Daniel. This has all been um, told to him. This is what's going to happen in the future. We're now looking back. We, 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 we can see that this, this is historical, that this literally happened. These things weren't written after the events. It's easy to be a prophet after the events, isn't it? I could, let me illustrate it, I I could wait until when's this presidential election in the United States of America? I could wait until after I get a wee message in Reuters News that President Donald Trump has been re-elected and then I could put out a post and say, I predict that Donald Trump's going to be re-elected. And then you could say, oh, he's a great prophet. He was able to tell us that before it happened. But, but that would be just me being sneaky, wouldn't it? But, but that's not prophecy, is it? it? It's easy to predict after the event, and that's what some of the critics say as is, is Daniel is doing, selected many years after the events come to pass. But that's not right. The Lord Jesus is predicting to Daniel before the events ever happened. He's given to Daniel special revelation. He is predicting events beforehand. And here's a, a divine disclosure of some of these amazing events and details. I've read through Daniel 11 many times in this past week. And I want you to know there's at least 135 historical 
prophecies fulfilled in these 45 verses. Isn't that amazing? You compare secular history and compare it with the biblical record and you get these fascinating details. This was a message, remember, delivered by the Lord Jesus himself. A detailed, amazing message by divine revelation. And what's the first thing he says to Daniel? As he's teaching him about the battle for Israel's survival. Yet three more kings in Persia. Yet three more. After Darius the Mede and Cyrus, there's yet three more. And they're going to rise up and they're going to rule over the Medo-Persian Empire. And that took place as God predicted it. Secular history proves it. Now, now look at verse 2 again. And the fourth shall be far richer than them all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia. So a fourth king of the Medo-Persian Empire rose up, richer and better than the other three. And he stirred up all the realm of Medo-Persians against the Grecian people. His name was Artaxes, and he got a huge army, and he attacked Greece, and he was defeated. And the Medo-Persian kingdom was lost. Now, now look with me at verse 3. And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. Now, who was that mighty king? Well, here's the answer. Alexander the Great. Isn't that remarkable? Alexander the Great took the Persian Empire. And his emperor was from all of Greece to all of India. In fact, he wept when he was 32. He had no more worlds to conquer. And Israel, remember, was not only part of the Babylonian Empire and part of the Medo-Persian Empire, but because it was part of the Medo-Persian Empire, it immediately became part of the Grecian Empire. Until they were conquered, and then it became part of the Roman Empire. Do you see that? You see, in the day when Alexander died, do you know how he died? He died in a, 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 a drunken stupor. He got himself intoxicated, and he took a fever, and he died at the age of 32. And he had no legitimate heir. He had an illegitimate son to a woman. He had a disabled brother. Now, now look at your Bible. Look with me at verse 4. Here's what's predicted by the Lord Jesus. And when he shall stand up, that's Alexander the Great, his kingdom shall be broken. Why? Because he died. And shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven. Do you see that? It's going to be broken up into four parts. And not to his posterity, not to his heir, because he hadn't got one. Nor according to his dominion, which he ruled. In other words, it's not going to be kept intact. These four men are not going to come together and say, well, look, let's form a, a united front here and, and, and keep the memory of Alexander the Great alive. For his kingdom shall be plucked up, even for others beside those. And if you think of the Grecian emperor be divided into four parts. You've got Macedonia. It was ruled by a man called Antipater. And then you've got Asia Minor. And it was ruled by a man called Lai 
Symmachus. And then you've got Syria and northern Palestine by a man called Seleucus. And then you have Egypt and South Palestine, Palestine, and it's ruled by a man called uh, Ptolemy. Now that's, that happened. Do you see that? Here's the accuracy of the word of God. And the rest of Daniel, Daniel 11, 5, right through to verse 35, in fact, right through to the end, accounts the actions of these last two great kingdoms that I've mentioned, Syria and Egypt. See, Lucas and Ptolemy and their successors. And it all happened in relation to the land of Israel. Right up to the time of Antiochus Epiphanes in 164 BC. So I want you to think of anything south of Jerusalem under the rule of the king of the south. And the king of the first king of the south, we, 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 we know who he was. He was um, uh, Ptolemy. And, and, and we know who the king of the north was. Uh, and you've got to think of anything north of Jerusalem belongs to the king of the north. And we, we understand that to be uh, Seleucus. The king of the north ruled Syria. They were the successors to Seleucus. You've got to think of the Seleucid kingdom, eventually taken over by the Roman Empire. And you've got to think of the king of the south, Ptolemy, and his successors ruling not only Egypt, but all south of Jerusalem. Now think of this. Here's the Jewish people in the middle. And they're being squeezed by these two powerful kingdoms. And Palestine is caught up in the struggle. And there's a fight for power between Egypt and Syria. And every time they go to war, every time there's a conflict, every time there's a disagreement, the Jews are like the anvil and the hammer. They're in the middle and they're being slaughtered. You've got the accuracy of the word here. It all happened. Let let me just prove something else to you. If you look with me at verse 6. And in the end of years they shall join themselves together. So the king of the north and the king of the south. Well they wise up. And they they want to form a united pact. They're, They're fed up with killing and slaughtering each other. Now this is what happens. For the king's daughter of the south. Shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of the arm. Neither shall he stand, nor his arm, but she shall be given up. And they that brought her, and he that begat her, and he that strengthened her in these times. Let me explain what happened. The king of the south offered his daughter's hand in marriage to the king of the north. The king of the south's daughter was called Bernice. She was the daughter of Ptolemy II. And she was offered in marriage to a guy called Antiochus II. He was the king of Syria, the king of the north. But there was a problem. But I'll tell you what the problem was. He already had a wife, he was already married. So how could he marry another woman? A bit of a conundrum. 
Now, his first wife, if we call her that, she was a powerful woman named Laodicea. And she didn't like being divorced. And a woman scorned is very hard to be won. And she organized a conspiracy. She managed to get Bernice and her infant son to come all the way up from Egypt to Syria. And then she had them murdered. She was a nice woman, wasn't she? And soon after, she had her husband, the king of the north, poisoned. And Laodicea and her followers took control of the kingdom. And that happened in 247 BC. And there you have Daniel 11 verse 6 historically being fulfilled. Bernice was handed over. Bernice was given up. And all who came with her. Do you see that? Look at at verse 7. But out of a branch of her root shall one stand up in his estate, which shall come with an army, and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north, and shall deal against them, and shall prevail. I want you to understand that. One of the princes of the south, namely probably the new king, called Ptolemy III, He organized a great military force against Assyria in revenge for his sister's death. The war lasted five years, 246 to 241 BC. A very brutal, bloodthirsty war. And he won. And he returned with great spoils from Syria and came back to Egypt. And he reunited much land and territory. And if you look at verse 8, and shall also carry captive into Egypt their gods. Certain idols had been taken from Egypt into Syria and they remained there for many, many centuries and he brought them back. He also took much gold and silver and captured many slaves. Until eventually, as we read in verse 9, so shall the king of the south, so the king of the south shall come into his kingdom and shall return into his own land. Eventually, Uh, See, Lucas, he regained control of Syria and the north of Jerusalem. And then in chapter 11, verses 10 and 12, you have the rise of another man called Antiochus the Great. And in 219 to 218, he tried to enter into the land of Palestine and, and conquer it. But he was beaten back by a smaller army, the army of uh, Ptolemy. Ptolemy IV dies, and Ptolemy V takes the throne, and he's only age four. And at that time, Antiochus the Great takes the Holy Land from under Egyptian control. And that's what verse 16 is all about. But he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will, and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land, which by his hand shall be consumed. Now, do you see that? And in the hope to get an advantage over Ptolemy V, he offers his daughter's hand in marriage. His daughter was called Cleopatra, and this happened in 195 B.C. His daughter, Cleopatra, entered into marriage with her husband, Ptolemy V. She refused to be a spy. She refused to be a traitor. So 
Antiochus the Great had no advantage in having his daughter Cleopatra to marry to the king of the south. Look at verse 17. And he shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom, and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of woman, corrupting her. But she shall not stand on his side, neither before him. Do you see that? And what happens then? There's a great battle. And, and he loses the battle. And he surrenders his entire elephant brigade, his navy, his gold, his silver, 20 hostages. One of those hostages was his second son. Imagine giving up your son as a hostage. Well, that's what he had to do. And that son was taken to Egypt and then sold in Rome. And he spent his early years training as a fighter in Rome. And do you know who the son was? The son was Antiochus Epiphanes, who became a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. So we've already looked at the agony of the warfare and the accuracy of the word. And our time is gone. You're saying, preacher, it's time to close the book. Time to shut up. Let me just finish with this. Just a few minutes, bear with me. I want you to think of the, anti, the Antichrist that is woeful. Antiochus, the great's eldest son, Seleucius IV, his reign was marked by heavier taxes, especially in the land of Palestine. And such was the rage of these heavy taxes that he was poisoned to death by one of his own ministers called Heli Odorus. In Daniel 11, 21 to 34, you have got this great period of opposition toward the Jewish people by Antiochus Epiphanes. And he had a short reign. 175 BC to 164 BC and he became in the Jewish psyche the worst tyrant in history and I'm telling you tonight he was a foreshadowing of the Antichrist you know what he did he demanded to be worshipped as God the God of heaven you can't worship him you must worship me you must bow down to me you must pray to me you must ask me for things he, he slaughtered the Jews in their thousands he, he banned their religion he was the one that set up the, the desolation of desecration in the holy temple bringing a pig in and putting its blood on the altar of sacrifice he, he, he desecrated the temple he raped and, and slaughtered many of the women and, and it was this time, of course, you see, remember the Maccabean period. They rose up and revolted against uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. And many of them were slaughtered. This was the intertestament period. Malachi to Matthew, 400 years, God is silent. And yet the Lord Jesus had already given this word to Daniel. And the accuracy is fulfilled. And it's not only Antiochus Epiphanes that's in view but even as we're going to see next week, it's the final Antichrist. And you're going to see how this is all fulfilled exactly as the Lord Jesus told it to Daniel. The battle for the survival of Israel isn't over. Could I say in closing, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for God's ancient people. 
When I was in Israel, I was told at least by one man, uh, when I was visiting Yad Vashem, there was at least 100,000 Messianic Jews in Israel. And, and we, 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 we delight in that. We long for many more. You pray along with me that God would send this light and truth, that they would become convinced that the Jewish Messiah, the one called Jesus of Nazareth, he's already come, bled and died. And that through trusting in him, you've got the gift of eternal life. And that he is really the great king of the Jews to whom they must bow the knee. Let's thank God tonight that their Jews are now back in their own land, 1948. Let's thank God tonight that Jerusalem is again their capital, 1967. We're living in momentous days. These are days of history. And they're unfolding before our eyes. And we're going to see in time what's going to happen in that land when the final Antichrist comes. Our time is gone tonight. We're not going to sing a closing hymn. I apologize for that if anybody's annoyed, but it's now ten past. Let's just close in a wee word of prayer. Lord, we commit our time to thee. We commit this study in Daniel 11 and 12 as we'll unfold it next week. And we commend it to thee. Help us, Lord, to grasp the threats. And help us to see amid the details the agony of the warfare of the Jewish people. Help us to see the accuracy of the word as it was described by the Lord Jesus to Daniel. And help us to see the Antichrist that was woeful. And, O oh God, we pray that we will at least understand and begin to prepare in the times of the end. Lord, give grace. We pray now that you'll part us in your fear and with your favor. We pray that you'll take these few stumbling, stammering words and apply them to our hearts. That any without Christ will be brought to repentance and faith before, Lord, the manifestation of the man of sin is finally revealed. Has mercy upon us now. Part us with your blessing. For we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you tonight and thank you for listening.